Welcome to the Empowered Eating and Living Podcast, where we dive into your inner world to explore all of the psychological, emotional, energetic, and spiritual components that may be influencing your struggle with food and eating. I'm your host, Sarah Emily Spears, a trained psychotherapist and energy worker who recovered from my own eating disorder. And now I help women just like you do the inner work to address the real issues keeping you stuck in your problematic eating patterns. Because I assure you, your problem with food is about way more than food. So join me and guest experts as we discuss the psychology of eating and healing and empower you with tangible steps you can take today to begin to improve your relationship with food and yourself from a place of true nourishment and care. Christine Garvin is a functional health coach based in Asheville, North Carolina. She weaves together her personal health journey, including a fibroid surgery that nearly killed her, with her training in functional health, nutrition, and hormones to help women heal their gut and achieve hormone balance. She is the host of the podcast, Hormonally Speaking. She works with clients all over the world via Zoom and offers impactful group programs for gut healing and hormone health. I'm so excited for this conversation and episode because when I was struggling with my eating disorder, I was also struggling with my hormones. They go hand in hand. Your hormones affect food cravings, your hormones affect weight, your hormones affect mood and vice versa. And so we are going to be exploring the ins and outs of the hormone connection to your relationship with food, eating, and your body and steps that you can take today to begin to heal. Because as you heal one, you automatically heal the other. Hi, Christine. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here. Me too. I'm really excited for this conversation because we are going to be talking all about hormones, which... Mm -hmm. Gosh, that's such like a big word, but I know for myself personally, it's yeah. it's confusing, it's overwhelming. I know it's important. I know yeah. it's connected to stress and weight and eating and it's all mm-hmm. related. And yet, mm-hmm. if you don't know, it, there's so much misinformation out there. And for a lot of women I work with, there's this big question mark around mm-hmm. hormones and how they actually even affect us and what creates the imbalance. And then what do we do to bring them into balance to support ourselves in actually feeling good mm-hmm. and not being crazy ladies because of our hormones. <laughs> right. right, yeah, absolutely. So I'm really, really excited for this conversation. And I know for myself personally, you know, we had chatted before that with my eating disorder, one of the big impacts was on my hormones. Mm -hmm. I had an irregular period. Mm -hmm. I went for over two years without a period. And so for me, as I've been healing my relationship with food and my body, it was directly impacting my hormones as well and starting to heal my hormone imbalance that was present. And I would love to hear from you just in general, like what got you into this work? a little bit about your background, and then we can dive into all of my questions. (laughs) Absolutely. Sounds good. And just to your point of what you just said in your own experience, um, you know, I think it's really important that a lot of cycling women and people don't understand that you actually need enough calories in order to have your menstrual cycle. Right. So I see this so often with clients that come to me that they're actually under eating, And that is one of the first things that we want to get, you know, really in check, making sure that they're starting to eat 
in a way that really nourishes their bodies, because when it comes down to it, and I know hormones is like this word that sometimes is, you know, people are like, what are you talking about when you're talking about hormones? You know, what does it mean? And, you know, I think sometimes just thinking there's so many hormones in our body. They're obviously not all part of our menstrual cycle, but we're kind of focusing on those menstrual cycle hormones. And then the, the ones that are periphery to that, that impact it so much, which is what we're going to talk about, but you know, what our body has to feel in order to go through the process of cycling every month is safe and secure. So if you do not have enough calories to feed yourself, your body is not going to feel safe and secure. You know, I always take people back to, if you think from an evolutionary standpoint, you know, the whole point of a menstrual cycle, whether or not you want to have a child now or ever, you know, that's kind of beside the point a little bit because our bodies during our cycling years, that is what they want. And that is what we need to make them feel safe to do, whether we actually want to have a child or not. You know, there's other ways to take care of that happening or not happening. Um, but we needed, you know, food on a consistent basis to grow a child in our womb. Right. And so certainly in times of famine, women wouldn't be able to get pregnant because the body is smart and knows. Right. And so here we are in a time where, um, there are, you know, I don't want to say forced famines, but the, these situations in our lives where we aren't consuming the amount of food that we need to, you know, that is deep in our evolutionary <laughs> cellular structure that it's not going to work. You right. know, so first and foremost, yeah. 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 I call it artificial scarcity. Mm, that's a really good term for it. Because, yeah. and, and this is the exact same with binging. Mm -hmm. So for any woman who's binging mm -hmm. and or has hormone imbalance, yeah. like the very first step I recommend is regulating eating. Yes. The frequency with which you eat and the quantity with which mm -hmm. you eat so that you're mm -hmm. getting enough nutrients in the body yeah. because it's the exact same. Yep. The, the brain and body that thinks there's a famine or not enough is going to be signaling for you to eat more of the high fat or sugar mm -hmm. foods when you mm -hmm. have access to it because you were depriving it earlier. Other times, yeah, right, mm -hmm. exactly. And so mm -hmm. it's going to overcompensate for it later. Mm -hmm. And so that's like the first step in regulating the eating patterns and the binge behavior is eating enough, yes. which can terrify women because there's this. Well, at least for my the women I work with, mm -hmm. because when they're overeating, the belief is, but if I eat. I'm not going to be able to stop. Yep. And it's actually the opposite. It's yep. when you're eating enough, it gets a whole lot easier to stop. Absolutely. Because there's actual hormones that are involved in that. You know, we won't go into those hormones today, but our body's regulated really by these, you know, hormonal signals to each other and these neurotransmitter signals to each other. And we do have satiety hormone, right? And right. that's what's actually when you're tuned into your body and what you're eating, you're going to feel that satiation point, you know, and exactly. we've been we've been taught for so long to, um, overlook that or to, um, not be connected to our bodies to actually feel that. So the work that you're doing is so important because even though I, you know, I don't really, um, often in my practice see, uh, full-blown eating disorders, as we were talking about the other day, I think most women, unfortunately, have some level of disordered eating yes. at some point in their lifetimes, right? So it's going, those messages are always going to come into play. So it freaks a lot of women out when you say, hey, you actually need more calories a day, you know, because, and the thing is, 
you know, you may gain a little bit of weight, you know, because either a, that's where your body's supposed to be, or B it's actually balancing out, right. It, it needs some time to kind of get to this place and then have all the things start regulating. And then you find your perfect spot for the time of your life that you're in, you know, and that's another important thing to remember about hormones is that our weight will fluctuate based on hormones at different points in our lives. And that's not a bad thing. It's necessary. It's healthy. Uh It's Mm -hmm. normal. Mm -hmm. We really need to normalize that, especially for our culture that's so obsessed with a thin body as a better body. Yep. Yep. And it's fascinating, right? Because the, the actual studies show us that um, people that live longer and healthier do have a more weight on them, right? They're not the super skinny people, because if you think about our, especially as our bone health degrades over time, which there's things that you could do to support your bone health that we can always talk about too, but, um, you, you need that kind of protection around your bones and things like that, you know, and right. the adiposity um, is like the cushion of protection. That's actually a yep. good thing. Yep. It's a good thing. Exactly. And another point I always like to make to people, you know, up front too, because I think a lot of women don't know this is that our, what I'll call sex hormones, right? So that's your estrogen and your progesterone and your testosterone and your DHEA, they come directly from cholesterol. So we actually need a decent amount of cholesterol. So, and is cholesterol typically what we would associate with fat? Yes. Yes. So I like to think about good fats, right? I mean, not to class, you know, we're not going to go too much into classifications here, but the good fats that we get from things like eggs, you know, that was so maligned for so long, which is kind of nature's perfect food, unless of course you have an allergy to it. You know, there's always um, some people that are going to have some issues with any food, but yeah, olive oil, coconut oil, all of these fats, you know, um, even, even, uh, animal fats, you know, meat fats, um, are really supportive to the body. And, you know, we do make a decent amount of the cholesterol via our liver that our body needs. Right. But we still need to get some via our diet. Right. And this is where, this is only one of the ways that good fat is so important. You know, um, I mean, our, our skin, our, our, uh, you know, nails, our hair, all these things need good fat and plenty of good protein too. Um, but just at that base level, most of us don't realize that literally without cholesterol, we would not have hormones. (laughs) So we need it. It's not a bad thing. And it's, you know, I have struggled with this. My cholesterol actually tends towards the lower end of the spectrum. And in studies, they show um, even around heart health, that that's actually worse to have the low cholesterol over the long term. you know? So there's just a lot of um, misinformation, I think, at this point in history, as we know. <laughs> no, which is why this conversation is so valuable because yeah. even as you're speaking, I'm thinking of all of the fat fears yeah. that I encounter that I had, mm-hmm. right? Because of these beliefs from the diet culture that mm-hmm. fat equals more calories. Therefore, mm-hmm. if you eat fat, you'll get fat. Mm-hmm. And that fear can really keep people from feeling comfortable or safe to mm-hmm. eat things like nuts and yeah. peanut butters or yep. drink a whole fat milk, you know, versus yep. this low fat, watery almond milk. It's like right. we're, you know, actually thinking that we're doing the thing that's going to be healthy in, yeah. in reality is 
preventing us from consuming what we our body needs to have healthy hormones. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, all the things that you just named as, uh, you know, being more supportive and healthy for your body are foods that have existed for a really long time. Right. right? <laughs> Our body knows how to, what I always say, read them, right? Because what is happening as we digest our foods is that it is breaking them down into nutrients like vitamins and minerals and, you know, phytochemicals and phytoestrogens and all of these other things. But there's a way that essentially our body is reading those things, right? Reading to see if they're correct, if they're going to fit into the cells, if they're going to work to support your organs and, you know, every, the tissues in your body. And when we have these foods that are, we'll just say packaged foods, because that's kind of a good, you know, overriding term um, of, of things that tend to be more refined. You know, most of those foods, things have been removed from them. And then new things have been added to them, right? Whether that's ingredients that our body doesn't necessarily read, <laughs> correctly, right? Because it, it isn't part of our evolution. Um, and also, you know, I'm always concerned. I, I mean, I'm grateful certainly for you know, people that don't have access to really good, uh, clean foods around the world for there needs to be some fortification of food sometimes, right? Like adding vitamin D, adding, you know, vitamin C and those kinds of things. But in general, if you can get those things from the natural packaging <laughs> that nature has given the foods, your body's going to see that as more bioavailable and be able to use it better. And that's really speaking to the natural wisdom and intelligence of the body. Yeah. Like our bodies know what to do with food in its mm -hmm. whole form, mm -hmm. you know, yep. as it comes yep. from earth. Yep. And then we, you know, go and modify the foods and create these right. food like substances, which actually, you know, maybe on the nutrition label have better quote unquote stats according right. to the lens of the diet culture, but actually in terms of how the body's able to utilize it, you know, may not really be that healthy or helpful. hundred percent, you know, and we're seeing new things all the time in studies, you know, aspects, even if say take an apple, you know, if you take that apple down to what we know is in that apple, you know, the, you know, vitamins and minerals and things like, and the fiber and things like that. That's as far as we know right now, that's contained in that apple. We continue to discover new aspects of foods, right. That we just don't even know right now and how your body is processing them because of that entire container. And this is the problem sometimes with supplements too. Although I am a fan of supplements, you know, where needed, but I'm a big fan of testing to see where your levels are before using a supplement, because for every nutrient that you use, so if that's a vitamin or a mineral, that vitamin or mineral is essentially in needs to be in balance with another vitamin or mineral or multiple ones, right? So like calcium and magnesium are a really good um, uh, representation of that, right? So, and we saw that in particularly like the nineties and early two thousands, when so many doctors were prescribing calcium to their patients with osteoporosis and things were getting worse because 
the bones started to calcify, right? You need magnesium as a balance to calcium and for, and you also need vitamin D for all of it to be used properly. Right. So that's like a really, um, potent, I think, observation of how, you know, when we get into these sort of like sciences around food, we're, we're doing it with a little bit of a blind eye, you know? Right. Like there are these kind of nitty gritty details that matter Mm -hmm. and which Mm -hmm. can be overwhelming, right. Which is why, I don't necessarily need to know because there are people like you who have this wisdom <laughs> that can support, you know, women navigating this hormone balance journey because it mm-hmm. is so complex mm-hmm. and complicated mm-hmm. and unique per each individual. Yes, and absolutely. Each, each person's body. Yep. And one word that you said at the beginning, which I think is so important, is you said it's all about really safety. Mm-hmm, and absolutely helping mm-hmm. the body experience safety, which is exactly the same when we're looking at binge eating or emotional eating, because oftentimes that is the brain's attempt to experience a sense of safety, whether it's emotional mm-hmm. safety mm-hmm. or a sense of physical safety because you've been depriving your body of nutrients and mm-hmm. it's trying to, to get those needs met. But can you speak a little bit more to to this concept of safety when it comes to hormones and hormone balancing? Because it's I I know it's so important for people to really hear. Yes. And it's actually why I always focus on stress first and foremost with my clients. You know, people come in and they say, oh, my progesterone is too low or my estrogen is too high. And I say, "Okay, that may be true, but we have to back it up here. Right. Because from a quick, just quickly from a scientific perspective, because I think it's um, important for women to sort of understand that everything happening in our endocrine system, which our endocrine system is, um, you know, our ovaries, our adrenals, our thyroid, kind of the, the big main parts of our endocrine system. All of that is based off of what the brain is signaling to these different parts of our bodies, right? These different organs. So this is why we always go to stress first and foremost, because things come in through our limbic system and that, you know, the stress response is going to happen when something scary is in the world, or you already have something internal that's scary going on, right? That impacts our brain first and foremost. And then it goes through this processing system and we'll go to our hypothalamus, right? Which I always kind of, I like to think of it, even though it's not quite, but I like to think of it as the third eye. Like if you go back from the third eye, that's the hypothalamus is there. And then right underneath it, literally connected to it is the pituitary gland. So these are the two, the big, the big guns when it comes to um, that, our endocrine system. And so when you have a stress response coming either from outside of yourself or internally. So going back to not eating enough calories, that's an internal stressor that's going to impact your brain too, right? Old trauma is an internal stressor that's going to impact your brain. Your brain is going to say, Hey, we need to keep her alive. So we're going to signal our adrenals to start pumping out more cortisol, which is our main stress hormone, right? And in certain situations, it will also pump out adrenaline, you know, especially if it's a, a, you need an immediate response. Um, But we like to focus a lot on cortisol when we talk sex hormones, because cortisol, when it is up and sort of consistently up, AKA you're in that fight or flight or freeze response, a good majority of the time, the brain is going to say, we can't house a baby. We can't grow a baby. We can't birth a baby. 
We're going to downregulate is what I call it, the sex hormone production. So that's the estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA, right? Because your body is smart and intelligent. And it's like, we have to focus on keeping you alive right now. We can't focus on any, you know, kind of like growth situation here and housing another, you know, I mean, a child is going to take a lot of uh, nutrition and everything from you. Right. So that's why you always, always, always need to work on stress first and foremost to help rebalance your cortisol. And for me working with people, I think the biggest thing is to kind of think about your circadian rhythm, right? And your circadian rhythm is this daily rhythm of your wake sleep cycle and cortisol, that stress hormone oversees your wake cycle and the melatonin, our sleep hormone oversees our sleep cycle. And this is where a lot of issues really stem, right? So if you can start to get your sleep wake cycle back to where it, you know, used to be hopefully, or get it to where it's never been, depending on the situation, then that impacts all the rest of your hormones and what we call our infradian cycle, which is your entire menstrual cycle, right? So instead of that, let's start on the outside big picture. Let's start on that 24 hour cycle first and foremost, because it's the building blocks of the bigger cycle. And of course, this correlates perfectly with eating because as stress increases for people who have learned to cope with stress by eating or using food to soothe, mm -hmm. then it's kind of a, a win-win situation if you're working on effectively managing your stress levels and your cortisol levels, it will directly improve both your hormones as well as your eating habits. Mm -hmm. And my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that um, an increase in cortisol also does affect hor um, hunger hormones. Yes. So insulin and cortisol are very, very interlinked, you know? And so it's interesting because cortisol can actually be triggered by both low blood sugar and high blood sugar, right? So again, both of those are a state of stress on the body when your blood sugar is low. And I always, going back to the sleep-wake cycle, you know, there's a lot of women, especially past 35 or 40 that struggle not always getting to sleep, but staying asleep. And they wake up at that three to 4 a.m. time and they're like, oh, I have to pee. My bladder got me up. And I said, well, I'm sure your bladder's full. But the reality is it was probably cortisol that woke you up, right? And so one of the first things that we go to focus on actually is how are you eating in the daytime to maintain a nice steady blood sugar level? Because that is actually one of the biggest, that's going to have one of the biggest impacts on that middle of the night cortisol. Right. I imagine as we stabilize blood sugar, it's also going to be improving sugar cravings throughout the hundred percent cravings. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You know, and that's why really, you know, cortisol and insulin are so, so you can't go around those to work on hormone issues. You know, they are the, like the top guns in my opinion to focus on. They're so interconnected and they literally impact everything else, what we call downstream. So that's the good place to start, you know, and it's, it's fascinating, right? Because that really does go back to food and nutrition again and again, right? Nice stabilizing there. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a quick personal story because for anybody listening who wonders if you're stressed, <laughs> I remember going to the doctor to get my hormones tested mm -hmm. and she asked about my stress and I thought I didn't have stress. Mm -hmm. You know, I really was confident that I meditate and I exercise mm -hmm. and I don't have big stressors in my life. And then 
my results came back and my cortisol levels were all out of whack. And she's like, well, they're up when they should be down. And it was like, not balanced at all. Yep. And yep. I remember reading later that, you know, most people won't actually report being stressed because we've become so accustomed to it yes. that we don't realize that the body actually is yep. living in this survival response or stress mode, yes. which is why it is so important to go seek out a, a, someone who can support you in getting the right testing done. So you really yep. have that information. So then you can take the right steps yep. to begin to address it. I've seen that so often with my clients where they come to me and they're like, yeah, you know, I mean, I have some basic stressors, but no big deal. And then we get the tests and I'm like, well, <laughs> your, your body's body telling us something, something else. else. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it reminds me of when I was in my twenties and went to therapy for the first time. And I think it literally took me about three years of therapy to understand that I had an anxiety disorder. I just thought, you know, I never thought all the things that were sort of going through my mind all the time was anxiety, right? I was like, this is just life, right? <laughs> and I didn't recognize that I was on edge in all of these situations. And so I think because we are brought up in a culture that is so go, 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 and so stress-filled, like people don't understand that even social media and like a ding to let you know that you have a message creates a stress reaction in your body, right? And I'm not here to tell you to get rid of all stress. A, that's impossible. B, stress can be good, right? Stress can motivate us. Stress can um, get us through situations like cortisol is great to get us to that deadline, right? It's when we are consistently always stuck in that, what we call our sympathetic nervous system. Right. The chronic right? stress. The chronic stress. That is the issue. And, and I think it's so individual in my experience of figuring out what your own stress, you know, triggers are, what, um, what places you may be stressed that you didn't realize that you were stressed and what, you know, family dynamics are at play, all of these things, you really have to do some deep dives for yourself. And I think it's fantastic to work with someone like you to work with a therapist in order to start to really, um, you know, determine these things, because that's going to have the biggest impact, you know, not just on um, bringing down your stress, but your hormones too. Right. And even if there's maybe not a lot of stress present day, if you've over your lifetime experienced some really intense periods of emotional intensity or trauma that you haven't processed, you know, then that can still have an impact, even if it happened in the past on how the body's physiology is in the present. Absolutely. And, and this is one reason why I say your issues with food are not just about food. And we have an opportunity to do this deep inner work to begin to process all the stored trauma and stress that your body has been holding for potentially, you know, your whole life. Absolutely. It's, and it's why I send my clients to, I like, you know, somatic therapy because that is so true across the board. You know, everyone, in my opinion, has some stored trauma that they're not fully aware of that is certainly impacting their day-to-day -day living and therefore their hormones, you know, and it, particularly once you hit 40, um, I see, you know, this time of perimenopause, you know, and that there's a great debate of when perimenopause starts, but if you kind of want to get technical, our um, progesterone starts to naturally diminish after age 35. So, you know, if you are trying to have a baby post 35, they're going to tell you it's a geriatric pre pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons. So that's why I, you know, it's kind of a, 
an easy point to define, but I'd say over 40 is when, you know, some of the major issues start to really creep up for a lot of women, but it, it, it can be hard, you know, it certainly can be hard to face all these things, but it is also to me, your body saying to you, okay, now is the time to really figure out who you are, what you want for the second half of your life, what you deserve that maybe you haven't felt that you deserve, you know, in the past for you to maybe stop giving outside of yourself all the time to your family, to work, all these things, and really look at your own needs and claim them and boundaries. So it's really, you know, can be this beautiful, not always easy, but beautiful time of life to do that work that you didn't have time, you know, or space to do in your twenties and thirties. And how empowering it is to know that maybe just because you were living you know, one way and your life was so stressful or your hormones have really been a problem for you mm-hmm. that it's never too late to begin to to improve Absolutely. how you're feeling by really working on hormone health. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll just share really quickly how I got into this work because it just fits in well with what we're talking about. So I was 39 when I learned that I had a fibroid and I, at that point, was actually a full-time dance instructor and um, very sort of busy doing all the things, you know, for my business and teaching, performing, all those kinds of things. And, um, you know, I had already done the training in my 20s around nutrition, and I had um, gone to school for holistic health education. Um, So I... I ate well, you know, I, I, I took good care of myself, but then I learned that I had this six centimeter fibroid and that's about the size of an orange for those that are not aware. And if you don't know what a fibroid is, because I didn't really know what a fibroid was before I learned that I had one, it's, um, most, most of the time, non-cancerous tumor that grows in our uterus in, out, in and out. Like there's lots of spaces in our uterus that they can grow. Um, and when I found it, like when I found out about it, it was already the size of an orange and, you know, it, it's tough if any of you have experienced fibroid and up to, you know, 80% of women will have a fibroid by the time they're 50. So that's quite a few of us. Not all of us will know that we have a fibroid. Sometimes they can stay so small and the area that they're in doesn't impact us. For me, it made me bleed so, so profusely that I ended up being anemic from it. Wow. Um, Yeah. And that's actually the most common sign. I always tell women, if suddenly you start bleeding a lot more during your period than you used to go to your OBGYN and ask for an ultrasound. The only way you're going to know if you have a fibroid for sure is if you have an ultrasound or um, an MRI, but we're going to start with an ultrasound first. And, um, And so it was making me anemic. And then also the location of it was pushing out my coccyx bone or my backbone, right? So it was like this big joke when I was teaching dance that I had a tail growing because we didn't know what was going on until I found out I had this fibroid. So fibroids can displace um, a lot in the uh, reproductive area because you don't realize how close your reproductive uh, you know, system is with your bladder and your colon. It's all scrunched up in there, right? So um, at that point, it was already a size that it was recommended that I either go on an um, uh, estrogen blocker, which I wasn't interested in because that pretty much puts you in menopause right off the bat and um, or doing surgery. 
So I never had surgery before in my life. I decided to go with surgery because, you know, it's a pretty standard thing to do. I did what's called a myomectomy where they go in and just remove the fibroid or fibroids and leave your uterus intact. Although they pressured me and this happens a lot towards a hysterectomy because they say, oh, the fibroids will come back if you don't, you know, if you do a myomectomy, but with a hysterectomy, they're not going to come back because you no longer have a uterus. And even though I didn't want kids, you know, I just was like, I don't want to take out my whole uterus just because of these growths. So long story short, I had the myomectomy and then unknowingly during that surgery, they burned me in three places in my intestines. I landed in the ER two weeks later with sepsis, nearly dead. They, you know, the doctors told my parents that if we'd come in a day later, I actually would have been dead. Um, I ended up, they had to cut me open. Yeah. They had to cut me open. I lost about half of my colon and about eight inches of small intestine. I had an ostomy bag for about six and a half months. Um, it was obviously, it was the end of my dance career. It was, you know, a life changing situation. Um, but it's really what brought me back around to doing health work and then diving more into the hormone sides of things, because I said, well, why did I have this fibroid in the first place? It's not just this thing that happens to 80% of us women, right? There's a reason for it. And so that was really where I, why I began my journey of learning about hormones. Um, and you know, knowing that I, I don't want any more <laughs> fibroids to come back, um, despite the fact that they say that they always will, you know, and, and it's because there's so such little really good concrete research on what to do with fibroids other than blocking estrogen and doing surgery, you know, and yet we know enough from a functional standpoint of what's going on here. And that's really what I focus on, you know, with my clients that have fibroids. Wow. What an incredible story. And it's always inspiring to hear when we, I mean, this was my story too. It's like, we go through these really difficult periods in our life that are excruciating and painful and full of suffering. And then for you to turn that around and use your pain for purpose to be able to support other women who might be struggling the way you were. It's Mm -hmm. just so beautiful. And I'm really grateful that you've stepped into that role. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, I think in some ways a lifesaver for me because it, um, you know, I had to go through a long period of healing, obviously, you know, but it really, it made me sit back and say, well, why, you know, why did this happen? What, how is this going to impact other women and really bringing it full circle to what we were just talking about? You know, it took me a long time to recognize why did I have this big fibroid grow and going back to running my own business and doing all the things and trying to be all the things to everyone. And that stress, I now understand was one of the major reasons that that fibroid grew. Right. And I, I think that fibroids have multiple reasons that they show up, but there is a spiritual slash energetic component to fibroids. And so often it has to do with boundaries or lack of boundaries. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's get into some boundary talk. (laughs) This is yeah, I know. Right. Everybody's like, Oh no. Um, it's the area that I think, you know, is being talked about a lot lately. Um, and a lot of women will get it, but not fully get it. And I think it can be hard to explain sometimes because I have to check 
myself within my own life every day around my boundaries now, you know? And so it's not just simple saying no, right? It's getting really clear and moving your guilt out of the picture, you know, or saying, if you can't move it out completely, just be like, all right, you're going to go into the back seat. I'm driving here, you know, (laughs) thanks for being here guilt, but you know, I've got to take the reins and and being really clear, like, this is what my body's limits are. This is what my mental limits are, whatever right now. And that's okay. It doesn't matter that that's not, that's going to make somebody else unhappy. You know, that's not, it doesn't matter that the world is pushing you to go against it. Like, this is where I think the true strength of ourselves come in because setting those boundaries and keeping those boundaries is not easy, but that is the key. And I feel it in my system now, right? I still will easily slide back into, oh, somebody asked me to do this thing. Oh yeah, I want to support, you know? And then I really have to say, Christine, let me be clear with myself right now. Do you really want to do this? Is this like an old martyr part of yourself? Is this that, you know? The people pleaser. Exactly. The people pleaser, which is such a common thing, you know, and do is this something that you really want and need and, you know, desire to do for yourself now? And that is a constant question. And that has been the biggest game changer for me. And what I'm hearing as you share is that you're making that decision, not from the mind or the beliefs of what I should do, but you've started to listen to the body. And so, you know, with the women I work with as well, there's a whole opportunity to work on rediscovering your body, repairing your relationship with your body, Mm -hmm. learning how to ask your body and listen Mm -hmm. and discern what a yes feels like and what a no feels like, because we have overridden those body cues and signals that communicate to us, "Eh, I don't have the capacity for this, Mm -hmm. or this doesn't feel safe, or this isn't aligned. Mm -hmm. And we just go into this almost mechanical way of operating that is overriding what the body is trying to lovingly tell us. And when we don't listen to the initial gentle whispers, the body gets louder. In your case, it was an orange size fibroid. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. For other women, it's intense binging and or purging. You know, it's it's this is how our body is trying to get us to stop and take care of ourselves again. Yep. Absolutely. So when we say no to somebody else, you know, they're allowed to have their reactions to that, but it's saying yes to yourself, which is so important on this healing journey that you realize you're worth saying yes to and that it's not selfish or wrong. Exactly. And like I said, it is a muscle that you have to train, you know, at least in my experience, I have to constantly, um, because those old neural pathways are still firing right into the people pleasing and things like that. And, um, I mean, we're hit every day on social media and all of these different places in our lives to constantly do and give and all of that too, you know? And so we're, we're, um, having to unravel all of these different aspects of our lives. So I always tell my clients, and I know that you do too, you know, be kind to yourself in the process of this. And you're not going to do it right 100% of the time. Yeah. And it becomes honestly a lifelong process of how you learn to take care of yourself. It's not like you're going to arrive to the day where my hormones are balanced today. And then they just stay that way forever. It's like, oh no, this is a result of how I choose to live, which is the same for how we're choosing to nourish our body or take care of our inner world and emotions. It's Mm -hmm. like, this is the task of living is to learn how to care for ourselves. 
living in sort of harmony with our body and our needs, which change on a daily basis. Absolutely. And, and we absolutely. have to continually like check in and honor mm -hmm. what those needs are as mm -hmm. they change. Yeah. And I think, you know, for those that are cycling that are listening to this, you know, I know sometimes it can be tough to fit in something else, but I am a big fan and wish I had started much younger of actually tracking my cycle, right? Because our cycle is a beautiful experience of ebb and flow of different times of the month, us being more in our brain space and at other times of the month being more in our intuitive space Sometimes, you know, the more get go getter time, the, sometimes the more like I need to be alone time. And in tracking that, you start to see your own cycle. And I think the respect grows too. I mean, it's just a cool thing <laughs> that this has all been going on in the background for every month since you started having your period, whatever age, you know, and you kind of have no idea. And we think of the period as being the kind of big, you know, thing happening every month, but really it's ovulation, which is what happens, you know, give or take two weeks before your period. And that is without ovulation, we don't have progesterone. Progesterone comes from the corpus luteum that is developed from ovulation. And you can really see these signs in your body, these signs of ovulation coming up when it does happen, you know, tracking your temperature, you know, it can tell you about your thyroid again, because we have this endocrine system that's all connected. You learn so many cool things about your body and you learn when to, um, push a little bit because it's, you know, your body can handle at that time and when to pull back because now is rest time and really giving yourself that like queen's love, you know, and really taking care of yourself. And that rest piece is so hard for so yes. many of us. It's yep. incredible to me. Like I will prescribe the assignment of you will schedule an hour to do nothing but rest. Yep. Like, but how do I rest? Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> We're going to work on, on learning how to do this. Yes. Yeah. But you're right. I, I've recently, well, it's been a few years now where I've started to track my cycle mm -hmm. to, to build that awareness. And it is crazy to me that, you know, we have these relationships with people in our life and we want to like get to know and deepen our, our understanding of who these human beings are. And yet we don't, even know our own bodies mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. really like you have that moment of oh my gosh like i know nothing this is crazy and now i get to start it's like an yeah. invitation to to begin to deepen this relationship with yourself and your body Absolutely. do you have any ways of tracking you recommend like just you write it down in a journal is there an app or like what would make that easy for people to yeah. start so there's, you know, quite a few apps out there right now. I use Kendara. Um, there's lots of different ones. If you have, I think the new Apple Watch, I believe, is starting to, um, they track your temperature. So that's like, an, you know, if, if it's hard to get up and take your temperature before moving first thing in the morning, which it is for, you know, to do that every day at the same time, which it is for some women hard to do, and you're into technology, then I would say, go get something that can track it for you. I, I believe I heard that the Aura Ring is also um, just recently connected with someone else to be able to track your temperature too. But you can also just, you know, I can always send you one too, but uh, just print out uh, a little piece of paper that has, you know, the days of the month on there. And then you just write down 
your temperature first thing in the morning. And, you know, they say to use a basal um, thermometer. That's best, but it's also fine to do just a regular electronic thermometer, you know, that doesn't go out to the um, second decimal or whatever it is out, you know, um, whatever kind of works for you to just get some basics, right? And the biggest thing of tracking your ovulation is that you are going to see a temperature jump the day after you ovulate, right? And so this is where just like Kandara, if I'm not tracking my temperature, it's not going to actually be able to tell me when I ovulate. And this is what I think a lot of my clients are like, oh, I use this, you know, period tracking app. And I'm like, well, that is just basing on you putting in when your period started. And then after a few months, right, it starts to say, okay, well, you're probably, this is when you're probably ovulating. And this is when you probably are going to have your period, but that may be true. But, you know, this idea that we all ovulate on day 14 is not the case. And the majority of us do not necessarily ovulate on day 14. So the only way to truly know when you ovulated is that temperature jump. Um, and then there's also cervical fluid. I think that that's a really cool thing to track, um, especially because- How do you track cervical fluid? Yeah. So basically around ovulation, your cervical fluid is um, like, like a white uh, egg, you know, the egg white part of it, that's kind of like, you can kind of like, pull it and it's a little stringy and clear like that, that is what it's going to look like right around ovulation. So you're looking at your discharge. Your discharge. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, usually um, at that point, it's not true, of course, for everyone, but you're going to have this discharge happening in those. For me, it's about three days leading up to ovulation. For some women, it's more just one day. For some women, it's longer, right? But you're going to start to notice a change in your discharge. For me, I don't really notice discharge at other times of the month, but it's totally normal to have other forms of discharge. So you're really looking for that egg white consistency, right? And for me, it's like a ton right before ovulation. And if you think about that, why that is, is that kind of um, discharge fluid is really good at having the se- the semen go into it, the sperm go into it and get it to the egg, right? So that's the purpose of that. And that's how you're going to know. And then a third way to know is your cervix actually moves forward at ovulation mm-hmm. too. So if that is something that you, you know, can, you can actually track with your hand. I won't go into all the specifics right now, but that's something you can easily find. That's the third way of knowing, you know, um, but for most women that, temperature change and that cervical mucus change is, is a really, you know, kind of the best ways to, to determine that. These are really cool ways that people can start to track. Yeah. And then I'm curious because, so after ovulation, mm-hmm. we go into, I believe, luteal phase. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Absolutely. And then we have our period mm-hmm. and that is usually the time where women say they're PMSing. And we get moody. And especially for the woman I work with, that's when they're more vulnerable to turn to sugar and have food cravings and just eat everything in the house. What is going on there? Is that kind of normal or is that an indication that uh, there might be some hormone imbalance going on? Yeah. So there's a few different things that can be going on in this situation. So I would say, yes, the majority of women struggle they're going to struggle with their periods. They're going to struggle in that luteal phase, often the five days or so before their period starts, right? Some down to maybe two to three days. Um, if you have PMDD, 
it can be two that full two weeks of luteophase hell, you know? So, um, one of the biggest issues tends to be the, uh, the levels of estrogen versus progesterone, right? So as I mentioned earlier, we have to ovulate in order to produce progesterone. And we want essentially a nice bell curve of progesterone from ovulation to when your period starts. Estrogen is also going to come back in and it's going to do kind of a similar curve, but hopefully a lot lower, right? So we want estrogen to be the main star in the first part of your cycle, aka the follicular, and then progesterone is the main star in your luteal phase. And for many women, they do not have either enough progesterone production or the progesterone shoots up high and then drops early. And so you really start to see, especially with those five to six days, you know, you start to have major issues. It's often that progesterone dropped off too much. And at the same time, you may have too high estrogen, right? And this is what we call estrogen dominance or excess. You don't have to have high estrogen in order for that to happen. You just have to have an imbalance of that progesterone and estrogen ratio, right? So that's where a good large chunk of issues start. And then, you know, what most of us don't know is that our both progesterone and estrogen drop two days before our period starts. That's actually what triggers our period to start that drop in those hormones, right? Cause it's like, we didn't, we didn't, you know, have, um, a baby happen this month. So time to start over, let's drop those hormones, start from scratch essentially. And so those two days between your hormones dropping and your period starting can be really hard for a lot of people because suddenly you have these hormones kind of pulled out from underneath you, right? When your body's like used to having them. Um, one of the big things that's kind of comes along with that is something called prostaglandins, which are, um, you know, inflammatory uh, parts of our body. And this is something that they, because you don't have sort of the balance of estrogen and progesterone during that time, this prostaglandins can kind of like cause a ruckus, get some inflammation going that, you know, often you'll see um, issues with bowel movements around this time. And that's partly because of those prostaglandins. One of the good ways to help that is making sure you get enough good uh, omega-3s during your cycle. Um, I like fish oil, the first part of your cycle, and then something like um, evening primrose oil in the second part of your cycle, that's going to help stabilize those prostaglandins. So they don't get out of control. Um, it's pretty natural to feel a little bit lower in this two days before, you know, and even that, obviously that first day of the period, second day of the period for a lot of women. So this is where I really say, create your space for yourself. You know, certainly the foods that you eat throughout the month and things like magnesium can be supportive. There's lots of things that you can do, but also it's okay to be tired, <laughs> to hang back, to, you know, not pack your schedule during that time, because that's going to be super conducive to just supporting your body in what essentially is a detoxification process. That's what our periods are, right? It's shedding this uterine lining, getting rid of all kinds of stuff, you know, getting rid of even the bad bacteria and all of that. And so allowing our bodies that process without trying to kind of push them into submission, you know, that can make a big difference really just in how women feel during totally. that time. Which is why the cycle tracking and starting to yeah. do that for yourself is so helpful because then as you start to recognize your patterns, or 
or how you feel during different phases, mm -hmm. you can anticipate, I know when these two days come, like yep. I need a little bit more space. It's yep. okay for me to like put work on hold for a few days yep. or, you know, take a nap here or there or say no to social obligations. Mm -hmm. And if we don't know that, we just keep wondering what's wrong with me. Let me drink more coffee. Yep. I got to push through this. Yep. And we're not supporting our body and honoring the phase that she's in. Yep. Exactly. So it's so empowering when each of us as women can begin to know thyself and our bodies and work with our cycles. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also curious about exercise because mm -hmm. we were talking about stressors and how mm -hmm. restriction, not getting enough calories, the brain from a safety survival standpoint could view that as a famine stressor. Mm -hmm. Exercise can also be a stressor. 100%. on the body and yep. for women who are obsessed with diet culture and we've been you know programmed that we need to be exercising really hard every day work out to lose weight that actually can backfire when it comes oh, yeah. to hormones and working with our body absolutely that is actually if a client comes to me and has um scant periods or skipping periods you know i say let's look at your cortisol and how much are you working out? Right. And so often they are pushing, doing hit, you know, and I get it. I used to totally be into hit too, but hit is same. And I didn't have a period. So, right. <laughs> You're like, mm, it really um, is a stressor. It's an intense, it can be an intense stressor. If your cortisol is already out of whack, either it's too high, it's going to make it even higher. Or if it's too low, you're, it's kind of like trying to beat your adrenals into submission is what I always think about it. You know, adrenals are already like retired and then you come in and do an intense workout and it's just like knocking them out even more. So, you know, I'm not, I'm, I never tell my clients they can't do it at all, but I highly recommend a, you know, if you do know your cycle and say you love doing hit. There is, you know, support for your body to be doing more of that exercise, depending, of course, you know, this is not across the board, but that there's more of that right before you ovulate, right? Particularly, so you've got, you know, say five to seven days of your period, then you're really starting to see that estrogen rise after that. And you also see the right around ovulation is where your testosterone peaks, right? So that is going to give you more oomph in your system to do in a more intense workout versus talking those two, three, five days before your period. And during your period, you know, everything's dropping. There's no support there. Right. So that's a great time to, if you want to move your body, do some yoga, do some Pilates, go for a walk. Walks are so underrated and they're so important, you know, um, and just rest. And, and if, hit is something or some, you know, whatever kind of high intensity workout, however that shows up, if that's something that you do every single day and you're exhausted, you, that's not going to help you start to feel better. <laughs> you're not going to get out of that exhaustion doing that. You know, it's not feeding your body. It's depleting it. Which I appreciate that this gives women permission to rest. Yeah. And it was really liberating for myself because when we're so conditioned by this diet culture and this at times toxic fitness industry, mm -hmm. the beliefs are more is more. Mm -hmm. And most women are operating from a place of desiring to be healthy. We have yeah. the right intention. Yeah. 
but because we've received this programming around what that looks like, yeah. we're actually engaging in practices that are not healthy, even though yeah. we believe if I work out hard every day, then I'll be fit and I'll be healthy. I'll feel good. And that actually isn't helping us. Same thing with the eating, right? If I, if I skip breakfast, if I cut out fats, like all the beliefs that are working against our hormones, like as you start to realize and get this information, like what you're sharing, it's like, oh, <laughs> there's actually better ways that I can actually achieve my goal of being healthy. And what was so liberating is like, oh, I don't have to work out so intense every day. Yeah. Oh, I don't have to cut out the fats that I love to eat. It's like, thank God, because that's yeah. actually not how most of us want to live. Right. We're just forcing ourselves to right. try and do it right. because we think that's what we should do. Mm -hmm. And I like to remind women and cycling people all the time that the majority of research done on these things, like hit and intermittent fasting. I know we didn't exactly talk about that, but that's kind of the idea with like skipping breakfast and things like that. Those studies are done on men. The majority we have different hormones, different bodies. They, exactly. And even menopausal women and people, it's, it's a different ball game when you're in menopause, right? Because you have steady hormones throughout the month and that's how men are too. And so when you do studies on consistent hormones that aren't fluctuating all the time, things are going to look a lot different than looking at the fluctuating hormones. And that's part of why science has not done a lot of research on women. It's really just in the past few years, they've started to bring women in, you know, and part, a huge reason that they said that they didn't forever is because, oh, with fluctuating hormones, it's hard for us to get definitive information. Right. And so I always like to remind people that or tell them that for the first time, because I think, you know, especially with intermittent fasting these days, oh, the studies show this and the studies show that. And sure, there's a lot of studies out there. If you look them up, the majority are done on men. I have an article on the, my website about this. Um, and intermittent fasting for cycling women can talk about like losing your period. Like I've seen it happen many times, you know? And so, I've seen it directly correlated with binging. Yes. Um, of course. It, makes it sense. fuels the binging cycle because mm -hmm. there's a period of like intense restriction. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And for, yeah, forcing down your hunger, overriding your hunger, all of those things. And this comes back to what we've been saying the whole time, that safety and security issue, you know, your hormones aren't going to be happy if they don't feel safe and secure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just helpful for women to keep in mind, which you've said a number of times that not only are our hormones changing, but they're going to change as you age. Yes. And so when I meet women who say, well, I'm doing the same thing I used to do. Yeah. And it's like, yes, but your body changes. And yep. so you get to learn how to evolve with yep. your body yep. mm -hmm. and work on continuing to care for her according to what she's needing at whatever stage she's in. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's so important to find people that you trust to work with, you know, like you as you go through these changes in your life, because um, I think teaching, you know, the support aspect and then teaching people to connect to their bodies is so, so life-changing and needed for, you know, the rest of our lives. And if, and if you think about sort of traditional societies, you know, women were supporting each other in these life transitions and, and sort of had so much 
connection to their intuition and supporting each other that we miss out on now. And so don't be afraid to consistently have, you know, a team of people and that team can change throughout your life because you have different needs at different times, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that's what I just, I think that that's something that's overlooked a lot because we're trying to just push through it ourselves and exactly. figure it out ourselves, you know? Yeah. I love that. We're not meant to really do it alone. Mm -mm. And it's important that we're looking at the whole, the whole human and whole self. And, you know, it's not just focusing on food and it's not just focusing on the body. It's looking at all of these different pieces, you know, the stress, the boundaries, the emotions, the sleep cycle, it, it all comes together to mm -hmm. affect the whole human and our health and Absolutely. well-being. And, you know, if anybody is needing some some support like what you offer mm -hmm. how could they reach you or begin to work with you to get that hormone health support yeah so one of the best things to do is just go to my website christinegarvin.com and everything you kind of just mentioned is part of um a free offering that i have on there called five ways to um, make your menstrual cycle flow and it's foundations, right? It's coming back to these foundations that you just mentioned. And I go into specifics on how to do that and support yourself that way. So that's a good way. If you just go to my website and sign up for my newsletter, you'll get that and you'll get a nice little print printable, um, to be able to put up, you know, on the fridge or somewhere in your room to remind you of the things that support your body. Um, I also have a little EFT session on hormone support. That's part of that little kit too, if you sign up on my website. And then you'll see on there, I have, you know, lots of good articles on hormones that are freebies to look through. Um, I do, uh, I have a full online hormone school called get your hormones, right? So you can, you know, dive in at the very basics and then go deep, 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 deep. If you want to do that too, including, um, my live program, which is a hormone breakthrough blueprint. So Lots of, lots of options if you head to the website. Amazing. Well, we'll include those links in the show notes for anybody who's interested. I highly encourage you to go check out Christine. As you can tell, she is a wealth of knowledge and just we're so aligned in our approach mm -hmm. and, and the work that we do. And that's why I've just loved this conversation because everything overlaps and goes hand in hand. Yep. So thank mm -hmm. you so, so much sure. for, for sharing all of this because it was really enlightening. Oh, good. Yeah. And I'm so happy to talk to you. And um, it, it is so your work is so needed in this world. And I'm so glad that you're doing that. And I forgot to mention, I also have a podcast called Hormonally Speaking, if anybody wants to go check that out. And Sarah is actually going to be on there here soon. So we just um, did that recording a few days ago. So be on the lookout for the great conversation that we had yes. on Hormonally Speaking too. So, yeah. so good. Thank you, Christine. <laughs> Absolutely. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Empowered Eating and Living podcast. If you liked today's episode, make sure to follow the show so you don't miss future ones. And if you loved it, then please leave a five-star review so that we can share the love with others who may benefit from listening too. 